welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Hey, thanks, Harvey. Hey, this is Simon, uh, recovering lust addict, sex addict, lust addict, love addict, codependent, fearful person, escape artist, uh, sex and sober since 8802, and I'm never sufficiently grateful for God's gift of recovery. So... It's my prayer that God would just help me to be um, helpful to others. So I'd like to begin with a third step prayer. And, of course, you guys can join along if you wish. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Believe me of the bonds of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help. Thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. Amen. Um, and thank you. Yeah, yeah, may, I, may I do that? We'll always amen. Okay. All right. Um, so, uh, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. Or as my grand sponsor says, no, it's what you were like, what happened, and what you're like now. <laughs> um, my earliest memories is actually of me, and I think I was about three years old, and I'll describe this because it kind of typifies my uh, some important aspects of my childhood. And my earliest memory is I was about three years old. I remember being in a cabinet. My mother had put myself and my brother, who was two years younger than me, inside of this cabinet. And it was very dark. And I remember hearing a lot of loud noises and being absolutely terrified. And when... Um, after it got quiet, my mother pulled my brother and myself out of the cabinet, and she said, we have to leave now before he comes back. And she was referring to my father. My father was a very violent um, alcoholic, and my mother, I didn't realize until years later, um, she was an alcoholic as well. She was very quiet um, when she drank typically, but he was very, very violent. And... Um, that kind of typified much of my, my growing up, just being uh, constantly afraid, um, wondering where I was going to sleep if I had to run away, and uh, just always being terrified. Um, and of course, the, the cars weren't as quiet as they are now, but I would hear his car pulling up in the driveway, and I'd find places to hide in the house, and of course, you know, help my brothers to hide as well. So just being constantly afraid and um, not getting the love and attention that I felt I needed, it seemed that my father, if he created enough... Um, you know, with what was going on with him, um, it seems like his um, concerns always garnered more attention. So, you know, we, uh, my mother said we have to go get him out of the bar and do stuff like that. And, of course, you know, as a kid, I'm thinking, he's a grown man. He got himself into the bar. He can get himself out. One of the really cool things about recovery, though, is that later on in the process, they were to realize some, some really important things that were really helpful to me and um, allowed me to kind of to kind of free him as well. Um, and so throughout, um, gosh, all my years, 
growing up initially the um through being a teenager um and now being you know beaten by my father and um you know punched in the face and stuff like that but and being shot at yeah he, he did that once as well but um what happened is that kind of carried over for me so it's almost like other people could see I was a victim. So that would happen at school, too. So I'd get in a lot of fights at school and and get into trouble there and get beat up a lot. And I remember um, trying to protect my mother and my, my uh, brother from, you know, some of the chaos and, and things like that. And uh, that didn't uh, go real well either. I also learned how to uh, stuff my feelings, how to not feel, and also how to not share with anyone. Because, of course, in environments like that, there's lots of secrets. And, of course, you don't share family secrets, right? So I didn't feel I had anybody I could tell. I didn't feel I had anybody I could talk to. And spent a lot of time talking to the dogs. The dogs seem to have more sense than, than some of us in the household. As I got older, I, I remember having my first serious girlfriend around eight. 18 and 19, I was, uh, I guess, a late bloomer and very, very shy. Um, and I remember my first serious girlfriend, we had been together for a while, and then uh, she dumped me for some for some guy uh, who lived in our neighborhood, and that was pretty traumatic for me. And after, um, and then, the, then um, the next girlfriend, I had to find somebody else, because somebody's got to love me, right? So I had to find the next one. And I remember um, after we got together, I remember... And uh, oh, I, I should give a disclaimer. Uh, one is that I'm, I'll also probably mention another uh, recovery program because that's an important part of my story. I may talk about my faith a little bit, and also just a reminder: this is my story, so it's not you know I'm not talking about essay specific. I'm not, I'm not a um, you know essay spokesperson or anything like that. So yeah, so the next girlfriend, I was thinking I got to make this one last because somebody's got to love me, and I remember. Um, even when I, um, I don't hate to use this term, lost my virginity because I didn't lose it. I gave it away, right? I made a conscious decision. But what happened is I remember feeling very guilty afterwards because um, even though we had this cast in our home, my mother was always saying, well, you know, you need to be this good Christian kid, and, you know, I'm going to church all the time, and I'm trying to find God, and I'm feeling guilty, and I'm supposed to wait until I get married for sex, and I didn't wait, and I'm having sex with this girl, and I'm feeling really guilty. And, of course, you know, she's confused, like, why are you guilty? You know, why, why do you feel so bad about this thing? It should be nice. I'm like, well, I'm having sex with her. I guess I got to marry her. And I was nowhere near ready for that. And that relationship um, eventually blew up. I ended up, I ended up ending that relationship. And it took me, um, we were together for seven years. I spent the last year just ending that. And that's because I didn't want to be the bad guy. I didn't want to dump somebody because I felt I had been dumped. But what I realized looking back is that that relationship because the first girl dumped me, I found somebody who was more needy, who wouldn't dump me, and that was this, this young lady. And, um, and then with the next one, um, let's see, I was by myself, I think, for a whole four weeks before I found the next one. <laughs> and uh, in that relationship, of course, you know, I was sexually active in that relationship, and, um, of course, I think, well, I guess I've got to marry her. And that relationship ended, and she dumped me. And at the end of that, I realized I, I joined Al-Anon because um, she kept saying, you know, you got all these problems. I think it's because you grew up in this alcoholic home. And I was like, no, you're crazy. But I decided to go. And I really went to fix her. I thought, well, you know, if you all straighten out alcoholics in Al-Anon, we should be helping with this, this 
young lady who's not cooperating. If she just cooperate, my life would be fine. But I went there, and I began to get some help for me. And it was really difficult because, you know, there weren't many guys there. But I learned some really important things. Um, after that relationship blew up, I learned that I was a love addict, and I didn't even know what that was. But my Alamon sponsor said, yeah, you got all the signs. You're just like me. So I did a lot of reading about that and went to a, a counselor, and the counselor said, yep, you're a love addict. So I began to, um, to work around that issue, my codependency and my love addiction, which for me is really the driving force behind, you know, wanting this, wanting to be connected to somebody, the love addiction and the codependence. So she was my drug. So um, that, was my, uh, that was my addiction that first got me into, uh, into recovery. And when I was, I realized that I needed to uh, be celibate, I didn't know how to do that. So I asked my hell, my sponsors, how do I do that? Because he had answers for everything. And for the first time in all those years he'd been sponsoring me, he said, I have no idea, Simon. I don't know how you turn the sex motor off. Uh, so I went, to, uh, I went to SA. In fact, a friend of mine who was in al told me about SA. He said, I'm starting this group. You should come. So I went, and um, I had trouble getting sober at first. I really did. And then I finally got three months of sobriety, and I was so proud of myself. And then I ended up losing that on the day of the meeting. Um, it was a few hours before the meeting. So for me, that was a reminder that I can't take anything for granted. I have to work my program every single day. And I thought, well, surely I have a meeting today. Surely I'm not going to act out. And yes, I did. So um, I, did, uh, I did end up with, no, I did, I did meet somebody else after six months. Um, no, no, it wasn't six months. It was like a couple of months. And um, so I, yeah, I met her before I got into SA. This is the third one. And we were engaged, and there was no sex during, during this one. Um, and I was able to see the sickness that was in the relationship, now that there was no sex. So um, that was eye-opening. So, and for me, being sexually sober is, was just vital because without that, you know, my neediness drives me to want sex and to want sex with somebody. And, and you know, it's like, who's the most willing participant who will... Um, will participate in, I can be with long-term because I need to have somebody there. That's my codependent. So I really got involved in the program after losing that three months of sobriety. That really hurt me a lot. And uh, God blessed me with an angel because there was a guy there at the meeting who had just lost his sobriety, and he checked in before me. So he gave me the courage to say, I don't have any sobriety. And from that point forward, I just tried to take it extremely seriously. So... I got a sponsor, and my sponsor, um, he told me to, um, I was told to put together a list of characteristics that I'd like to have in a wife. In other words, um, you know, when you go to a grocery store hungry, get a whole bunch of stuff that you want, but nothing that you need, and you get home and say, man, I got a bunch of junk food here. And um, so I did. I put together a list of characteristics, and that was back in 1997, and I began to work on myself, so I would have those characteristics. <laughs> yeah, because if I found a woman that had all those characteristics, and I don't, of course, she'll say, what am I doing with you? So um, it's been a wonderful journey, and in terms of my sobriety, it's getting better all the time, and I met my wife in 2001. We were married in, 2000 and in December, 2000, yeah, December 14, 2002, we were married, and she had all the characteristics that are on that list. Um, so I made the list. My sponsor looked at it. I took it to the counselor. She looked at it, and we both said, this is really good. So I, I felt good moving forward. And, of course, I prayed about it prior to that. And I remember uh, that 
because I'm a sex addict and love addict and codependent, um, I didn't want to have any intensity in that relationship because, I mean, this woman was incredible. And um, it was so interesting because I wouldn't even hold her hand because I was too afraid of intensity. And uh, one day I was coming back from, uh, from working out, from exercising, and I was on the freeway, and I heard an audible voice. I heard God's voice say, don't be afraid to love this girl. And it's like blew me away. It was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. I mean, an audible voice. And um, instead of driving to my house, I, I drove to her house, and I was just crying uncontrollably. And I just felt all this love that was inside, and I just didn't know what to do with it. And the weird thing is it had nothing to do with sex. I mean, that was the furthest thing from my mind. I was just in awe that, um, that I, I felt that way and that God spoke to me in that way and that I was sober and clean, and I just felt... Um, Incredible, absolutely incredible. Um, so um, after I asked her to marry me, I kissed her for the first time, and the following day I held her hand. And um, we didn't have sex until um, we were legally married. So it was a really powerful experience just working the program and, and being single in that process. It was just incredibly powerful. I, I can't quite put that into words. Um, also, my... Um, yeah, God also blessed us with two children. So we have two great kids, and and they're um, they're still young, but they are a blast. And um, I've learned a really, really important lesson. Well, several, but one I want to share with you in the short time that we have, because I wanted to keep it around fifteen minutes. And that one was that I was walking down the stairs, and I had our two-year-old daughter. So. I was taking a bunch of clothes downstairs, and I had her in my uh, in my arms. So I had her in one arm, had clothes and stuff in the other arm. And walking down the stairs, and um, I've always told her, you know, you know, hold hold the rail, hold the rail. Got to be careful, you know. So anyway, I said, "Daddy, hold the rail." And I'm like, "I got this. I'm a grown man." And um, some of the clothes began to fall out of my arms, and next thing that happened, I slipped and I fell. And uh, I was still holding her, and we're bouncing, you know, she's on my chest, and we're bouncing down the stairs, and she's terrified. She's two-year-old. She's screaming. My wife is saying, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? And I are you okay? Are you okay? And I said, I'm fine. And my wife says, not you. It's my baby. Okay. So anyway, um, you know, we're at the bottom of the stairs, and my daughter's terrified, and I felt horrible. I felt horrible. And she told me, hold the rail, Daddy, and I didn't do it. And... Then she ran from me. She ran to my wife, and she's shaking, and I picked her up, and I, I said, um, um, and, I, and I grabbed her, and I said, we're going back upstairs. And she said, no. And I said, no. And then my wife said, well, she's not ready yet. And I said, no, she needs to do this now. And I told her, and with her eyes looking at me, with tears streaming down, um, wow, I, I told her, I said, honey, this time, and from now on, Daddy's going to hold the rail. Daddy's got you. I won't let you fall. And we went to the top of the stairs, and she's still trembling. And, she, and even though I'm holding her, she's holding on to my shirt, and my wife's at the bottom of the stairs, and she's looking, and my, my little girl's holding on, and she's clenched this. And I'm holding the rail, and I'm taking one step at a time. I said, Daddy's got you. I won't let you fall. I got the rail. We made it down to the bottom. But before we got to the bottom, she began to loosen her grip just a little bit. We made it to the bottom. And then, you know, she went over and hugged mommy, and then she went to play. And that was powerful for me. 
one of the things that reminds me of, and the reason it's so powerful to me is because it reminds me that I have to work my program. I have to hold the rail. So sometimes I think, man, I've been sober all these years. I shouldn't have to, you know, go to two meetings a week. And, in fact, I'm doing um, 90 and 90 now. I'm doing you know, 90 meetings in 90 days again. But sometimes I think, I shouldn't have to read my essay literature and other recovery literature every day. You know, I've been sober a while. But I can't forget that I have to hold the rail because when I fall, I take them with me. When I fall, I take my son with me. When I fall, I take my daughter with me. When I fall, I take my wife with me. And I made a commitment. Daddy's got you. I won't let you fall. So it's not just about me. I'm part of it, but it's more important than me. And I can't look into those, those young eyes and say, yeah, Daddy didn't hold the rail. So what's it like today? Um, recovery is wonderful. It's such a blessing to know that my wife trusts me and that I feel trustworthy as long as I work my program, take my medicine. It's wonderful that I can be in a place where I can be who I am. I can be honest about who and what I am because um, how it works on page 206 talks about that. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to the simple program. Usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. So it's my prayer that I'm becoming more honest every day. And, you know, in terms of relationships, uh, trust is the new sexy. You know, trust is really what makes it work. And as far as I'm concerned, and every now and then, you know, my wife will say, oh, does this outfit make me look this way or do I look that way or, you know, like, trust is the new sexy. It doesn't matter what I put on. As long as I've got trust there, then, you know, it'll work out fine. So I'm also realizing that I do have a fear of, of intimacy, of really letting people know who I am, but I'm getting better at that thanks to the program. I also suffer with uh, self-hate and self-sabotage at times. That came out recently as I was uh, applying for some, for some jobs, and there was a part of me and one of the jobs that I actually blew. The easiest part of it, the presentation part, I actually did very, very poorly on because there's a part of me in looking back, thanks to the journaling I'm doing uh, with recovery, and looking back, it's like, oh, I didn't think I was worthy of that. And since I didn't think I was worthy of that really nice position, part of me had to find a way to sabotage it. So um, what do I do? Um, at least two meetings a week, but now I'm doing a 90-90. I journal, try to journal daily, uh, essay and recovery reading. Um, most days I'm making three calls to, to check in to be accountable. Uh, some of the really important readings for me are uh, acceptance on page 417 of the AA Big Book, how it works on page 206 of our SA White Book, and some other key things I guess that, are, that, I've, that I've learned. It's really important to give back, to, to share with others, to work with others, just as people have taken the time to work with me. And every year, I think it's important to learn some key things. So every year, I try to have one lesson that I've learned. So rather than you know, go through all 15 at the end here, let me just pick out a couple. So one of the important lessons that I think I've learned is that knowing about God will help my ego, but knowing God will save my life. And for me, what that means is that right, I used to read my, um, um, my – literature of my faith tradition, you know, my Bible, and I was like, man, and this will fix all my problems. But knowing about God is not the same as knowing God. In the program in Step 11, I'm actually coming to know God. One of the other things is that if I really want to act out, nothing can stop me. But if I really want to be sober, nothing can stop me. 
One of the other things is that anything I put before my recovery, I'll lose. That's probably the most important one. Recovery has to come first for me. And in order to get better, I have to feel better. But it doesn't feel better to feel better. So as I began to feel my feelings more, that became really, really painful. But that's part of the process of getting better. So I guess as I kind of kind of wrap up here, I'm just very, very thankful that God has allowed me to, to have this disease, to have a plan, to be able to actually work on my stuff because most of the character defects I'm working on is stuff that I would need to work on anyway. The stuff of self-sabotage, self-hate, um, my codependence, my lust addiction. Because the lust addiction isn't about sex. It's about me wanting to feel loved. And because I'm a love cripple, you know, I wanted to get that through sex. And that's why it was never enough because it really wasn't the problem. So I am uh, very thankful. And just, uh, I guess, a closing note that recovery is worth it. It really is. It's worth whatever it takes. So uh, that's my share, and uh, thanks for letting me share. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.